Hi, I'm Mark Rotterman. Coming up, President Biden pitches the infrastructure deal, the debate in the General Assembly over medical marijuana, and Facebook wins big in federal court. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Jay Juhari, the Democratic whip in the state Senate, Asher Hildebrand with the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke, and Nelson Dollar, the senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, why don't we begin with the prospects for a deal for the infrastructure bill in the, in the Senate? This is something that's been a priority for President Joe Biden and his administration, getting some sort of package on infrastructure. And we know that a group of middle-of-the-road Democrats and Republicans within the Senate came up with a plan, $970 billion-plus, that would deal with a lot of infrastructure issues. It's one that President Biden likes. He's been uh, taking it on the road, taking it to the people, so to speak, trips to Wisconsin, Michigan. I'm sure he'll be making other uh, stops as well. One of the problems for him, though, is that the, the Democrats who are in charge in both the Senate and the House have uh, looked at the progressive wings of their party who say, no, we need much more, not just this plan, but also another larger bill that deals with things like funding for climate change and free community college and health care issues. And in fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and Chuck Schumer, the leader in the Senate, have said they'll only go along with this infrastructure plan if it's tied into that larger deal. On the other side, Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell has said, no, we're not going to go along with something like this. Uh, there's a hope to have some sort of deal finalized in the, in the legislative process in September, but it's going to be interesting to see whether all of these pieces can come together. Is the problem that progressives, Jay, in the linkage to the reconciliation mm -hmm. deal, isn't it really the problem between Bernie Sanders and Biden and the moderates? I mean, that's, uh, I'd say there's a couple of problems. One is, as you mentioned, is this issue of linkage with the, uh, with the, the broader bipartisan, the, bi the bipartisan package and the broader bipartisan, and then the broader democratic package. That's, that's issue number one. And we've seen the president uh, say that he thought it, it should be linked. And then now he's saying it's not, it should not be linked. Uh, second is the issue about how you pay for it, which is an issue with the bipartisan bill. And third is really how you define reconciliation. So what should be in the package? I mean, we don't have the details of the broader uh, infrastructure package, but I think we have a sense of what might that might include, as Mitch said. Well, reconciliation does talk about human infrastructure, doesn't it, Asher? Well, President Biden has, uh, as part of his broader infrastructure proposal, has a whole section of that. Well, what is human in infrastructure? Well, it's things like uh, it, uh, having child care so that you can go to work. Uh, it's things like having community college without incurring debt so that you can get trained for uh, the jobs of, of today and tomorrow. And so this is a range of things that, one, are broadly supported by people of both parties. Two, we've badly underinvested in them. And so I think Biden's absolutely right to frame it this way. Uh, but, of course, when it comes to the legislative process, the devil's in the details on, uh, on what will pass muster with both parties. We've seen this movie before, though, haven't we, with the uh, shovel-ready jobs, Nelson? 
Well, we have, and if the president really wants to pass the bill before August, he's got to go up on the Hill, convince Democrat senators, and negotiate with Speaker Pelosi. And I think Biden, on his trip, may be trying to show Democrats that this is a bipartisan bill that will help them in swing states in 2022 and 2024. But he's in a very dangerous position. He did a major uh, White House rollout on this bill, banner headlines. And if he can't get it to the finish line before the August break, or maybe right after that, uh, he has burned a lot of political capital. And I think on the Republican side, they are going to be winners whether it passes or not. Uh, if you bring it back home to North Carolina, $1.2 trillion bill over seven years would mean somewhere in the range of $36 billion for infrastructure in North Carolina. Mitch, close us out in about 30 seconds. Are the 10 Republicans solid for this bill, you think? On a deal? I think they would be solid on this deal. They're not going to be solid for something going beyond this, especially the linkage. I think on the other side, too, one of the things that the, the Biden administration has to look at is he really needs people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to go along with him on almost anything that needs to get through the Senate. They were part of this deal. And if he goes back on them, that's going to hurt in the long term. Okay, Jay, I want to talk about something that transpired in the state Senate, and that's medical marijuana got a fair hearing this week in a Senate hearing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, earlier this week, the uh, State Senate Judiciary Committee cast a historic vote and passed a bill to legalize medical marijuana. That bill received unanimous support from all Democrats and uh, most Republicans in the committee. Uh, the bill that's called the Compassionate Care Act uh, allows for the use of medical marijuana for chronic and debilitating diseases such as cancer, ALS, uh, PTSD. It's a very tightly regulated bill compared to the 36 other st states. Uh, credit really goes to the powerful rules chair, Bill Rabin, um, who gave personal testimony about his experience of, of uh, having cancer and going through chemotherapy. Uh, it's probably one of the most compelling speeches I've seen if you want to see the human face of, uh, of legislation that we work on in the North Carolina State Senate. Uh, the bill does have opposition from some Senate Republicans and conservatives. Uh, the argument is, is that medical marijuana will serve as a gateway or open the Pandora's box to full legalization, although it's important to realize that public policy polling shows that 75% uh, of North Carolinians support medical marijuana. A bill still has to go through three committees, uh, and there's an open question of whether we get a vote on the Senate floor or not and whether it even pass the House. What are the prospects in the House, Nelson? I think the bill will be a challenge to get passed in the House. You know, we're currently trying to move Senate Bill 448, and that's amendments to Schedule 6 of the Controlled Substance Abuse Act, which would allow prescription drugs with THC in North Carolina if the FDA approves of the medication, the DEA makes the appropriate changes to the schedule, and the North Carolina Commission on Mental Health, DD, and Substance Abuse does not object. So that bill was voted out of the Health Committee, uh, but we have not been able to get sufficient uh, support to bring that bill to the floor, far less ambitious bill than, than, than uh, Senator Rabin's bill. And of course, the purpose of that bill is to bring federally approved treatments, prescription drugs, to people who are suffering with conditions like PTSD and spinal cord injuries. Many states do have this, though, don't they, Asher? That's right. Right now, about 40 states and territories have a regulated medical marijuana program. About 20 states and territories, maybe 21 now with Virginia, have a fully uh, legal adult recreational marijuana program. As far as I'm concerned, uh, let's go ahead and, and legalize it for adult recreational use, too. I think it's good for the economy. 
uh, economic development. I think it's good for uh, taxpayers, and I think it uh, helps bring greater equity to the criminal justice system. By the way, in that same poll uh, Senator Chaudhary mentioned, about 54 percent of North Carolinians, including 43 percent of Republicans, support full legalization. In the meantime, I think this medical marijuana bill is a, a good step in the right direction. Mitch, put this in context. You might be surprised to learn that politics, shocker, could play a role in this. Senator Rabin, the powerful rules chairman, is the main backer in the Senate. I wouldn't be surprised if the bill does end up getting through the Senate that folks on the House say, oh, this is something that's important to Senator Rabin. Well, maybe we just hold it till he does so something with some one of our trading, bills. You think? Uh, there could be. I mean, if it's if it's something that really is that important to him and it gets through the Senate, it could end up being one of these bills that gets held up till the end of the session when all things are negotiated. Jay, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, my friend. Well, I think, uh, as Asher mentioned, the issue of full legalization, something that's interesting to think about, given the fact that Virginia is already you legalized. Full legalization, I do, you? and I've introduced a bill to do that. And one of the arguments that I've made, which Asher mentioned, is that I'd say that uh, the Virginia farmers have a leg up on North Carolina farmers. I think there's a real issue of border counties and consumers going to Virginia, which has lost tax revenue, but also there's an economic development argument to be made uh, for our farmers here in the state as well. Okay, I want to talk about Facebook. They had a big win, Nelson, in federal court this week. Yes, Facebook won a resounding victory in court this week uh, when a federal judge dismissed two monopoly lawsuits, one brought by 46 states' attorneys general and the other by the Federal Trade Commission. The state's AG suit was rejected because of the time that they took to actually file the suit. Uh, it was involved with the acquisition of Instagram in 2012 and the WhatsApp in 2014. Well, with all the regulatory approval at the time, uh, the judge said the states waited uh, too long. They were unreasonable and unjustified as a matter of law. The judge did grant the FTC 30 days to refile their complaint, criticizing their su suit as too speculatory and Anyway, anyway, making ahead. too many con conclusions right. um, uh, to go forward based on speculative matters, things where agencies expect the court to simply give a nod to the conventional wisdom that Facebook is, in fact, a, um, a monopoly. So, you know, it's refreshing to see um, that unlike the media and the court of public opinion, in the real court, you actually need facts and evidence. Okay, does this uh, set back the folks in the uh, that really want to rein in Mitch uh, Big Tech? Big oh, setback, you think? It certainly does, but I think it also points to, to something that is going to be a, an issue anytime mm -hmm. Facebook or Google or any of these big tech companies come before the courts uh, is that a lot of the laws don't really deal with the nature of social media and the way that technology companies operate. They are built, the, these laws were built for railroads and banks and businesses that we've dealt with for years and years. And so they don't really have the same types of uh, impact when you're talking about businesses that rely on technology and social media. And so I think that is going to be something that really has to be addressed as the legal issues move forward. Does this have to be addressed in Congress, you think, Asher? And is there a will to do that? It, it does seem that uh, this is one issue where progressives, moderates, conservatives uh, come together a lot. I think that's right, Mark. I think when you've got Senator Elizabeth Warren 
uh, and Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri both prioritizing uh, reigning in uh, big tech's concentrated power, then, it, then you know, if I were a, a Facebook lawyer, I'd be pretty happy this week, but I wouldn't take too long of a vacation because I think this is going to come back. Congress has stepped up its game considerably since a few years ago when they had this bumbling performance with tech CEOs at their hearings. Last year, the Judiciary Committee in the House released- it was just a show hearing, wasn't it? Uh, really? At the time, but last yeah. year the Judiciary Committee in the House did a sweeping bipartisan investigation that resulted in five bills that were introduced last month uh, by House Democrats uh, and again in the Senate. In addition to having some bipartisan support, they just confirmed as uh, an FTC member uh, one of the leading uh, antitrust uh, advocates in the country. Um, and so I, I think, uh, again, I wouldn't rest too easy if I were big tech. Do you tech. think Google or Facebook should be broken up? Uh, I personally think that. I, I think that that's, uh, uh, there's a split within among those who want to regulate big tech, tech about whether you should split them up and whether you should just regulate them, which seems to be what the EU is going to do, right? So I, I think we'll probably end up uh, more on the regulatory side. Um, but uh, I, I personally think that in some cases, uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, Amazon selling products uh, uh, that, it, that it manufactures on its own site competing with the other product, you know, that that's a, a pretty clear case where it's a monopoly and should be broken up. Jay. Well, I, I, I agree with Asher. I mean, I think that the ju judge's ruling may be a short-term victory for Facebook, but there are long-term challenges for big tech. Number one is we, we I think that the, the, the ruling illustrates that Congress needs to do more work. We need to modernize our laws, and the Judiciary Committee is, that is already... Is that, is that 230 what we're talking about, yeah. Asher? Section 230? Yes, sir. Uh, it's certainly one of the top areas of the debate uh, within the Congress. Whether they can find agreement on it, I'm not sure. Wrap yeah. this up, my friend, in about 40 seconds. Well... This victory did allow Facebook to have a huge jump in their market cap to over $1 trillion. That's their value as a company. So they joined four other high-tech companies in the uh, trillion-dollar club in U.S. businesses. And it's a far cry from the era when it was the IBMs, General Motors, Dow's that were the largest corporations in the United States. Okay, I want to talk to you, Asher. It was very interesting to me that the DOJ weighed in on Georgia's voting laws. That's right. Last Friday, the Department of Justice announced it was suing the state of Georgia uh, over the sweeping voting restrictions that uh, its legislature enacted in March uh, on the grounds that they violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act by making it harder for people of color to vote. This is the first and almost certainly not the last uh, action by the Department of Justice to counter this wave of voting restrictions we've seen around the country. Uh, by the latest count, up to uh, 28 laws in 17 states, with more on the way, including quite possibly here in North Carolina. Before 20 Are they mostly red states? Yeah, most, uh, all, entirely red states, although in some cases the laws you know, do some good things, some bad things uh, from, from both perspectives. They've had some bipartisan support. Before 2013, though, these laws, including Georgia's and North Carolina's, would have had to be been approved by the Department of Justice before they took effect. The Supreme Court threw that out in the Shelby County versus Holder case, uh, a decision that uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg likened to throwing away your umbrella because it's not raining. Well, to extend the late justice's metaphor, voters are now getting soaked. And the Department of Justice has very little it can do except for sue after the fact. One last thing, their, their uh, job just got made quite harder by the Supreme Court ruling yesterday that blew another gaping hole in the Voting Rights Act, effectively raising the bar for voters to prove that they were discriminated against in court. Georgia's law might still meet that higher bar uh, because okay. of the record, but a whole lot of these other laws around the country probably won't. 
Your take on this lawsuit, Nelson? Well, it's a poorly reasoned complaint that the AG rushed to file before the United States Supreme Court issued their 6-3 landmark ruling in the Arizona uh, voting rights case this week. So in that case, uh, Arizona involved two issues. One was a prohibition against out-of-precinct voting, and the other is ballot harvesting, for which people have been prosecuted in North Carolina for. Justice Alito wrote that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is not violated uh, if voting is equally open, considering all of the circumstances, and that mere inconvenience is not enough to demonstrate a violation. You know, New Hampshire okay. consistently has the highest presidential uh, voter turnout, with very few exceptions. Most everyone there votes on Election Day. Bottom line, there's nothing novel in the Georgia law. It, there's simply no case here. Okay. We, we expect to see a lot more of these lawsuits from DOJ, you think, Mitch? I expect we'll see more lawsuits from the Department of Justice and also more lawsuits from other plaintiffs. One thing, that, and the ruling was good in the sense that it sort of said you can't use Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act just to say that anything that Democrats don't like is against the law and unconstitutional. What it didn't do, though, was set out a bright line test that says this is okay and this is not. Judge Alito actually set out about five different things that courts need to keep in mind when they're looking at these Section 2 cases, but they still leave some wiggle room so you know that uh, sharp attorneys on all sides of the argument are going to be getting ready for more business. Jay, it's good to be a lawyer. Um, and, uh, it is, and uh, maybe it's good to be an elected official, but you know, I would say this for students of government, this illustrates the tension of federalism, and we've got a slew of states that have passed uh, uh, voter suppression laws, but I think that the Democrat strategy is one, is litigation, which was the Biden administration's lawsuit, which I think uh, Asher is correct, uh, the, the, Arizona, the, the Arizona law, Supreme Court decision on the Arizona law makes it a, a harder lawsuit to, um, to be successful in, and then secondly, I think we've got to revisit what Congress is going to do. The For the People Act uh, clearly is not going to work. Uh, Joe Manchin, as we've talked about in the show before, has a compromise bill. And the question is, does that bill have enough legs now to address some of the uh, issues that we see in a lot of these southern Great states? Rep. I want to move on to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. Well, it's summertime now, but there is an ongoing debate about masks in schools. And there was a new addition to this debate, the ABC Science Collaborative, which combines UNC and Duke came out with a couple of new reports that suggest that continued masking in schools would be a good idea, especially uh, since some of the students are still not going to be vaccinated when school returns for the fall. Meanwhile, lawmakers are still haggling over the final details of something called the Free the Smiles Act, which would allow the masking issue to be decided on a local level. The districts could uh, make this optional rather than have be the one-size-fits-all uh, mandate across the state. So a very uh, important ongoing discussion. Jay. Uh, most underreported story of the week is a uh, third way think tank organization came out with a with a polling this week that showed that Democrats actually suffer an economic trust gap compared to Republicans by 12 points. That actually extends to black and Latino voters. Uh, voters trust Republicans over Democrats um, on the economy. Uh, majority of these voters still trust Joe Biden, but it still reveals that there is a gap between President Biden and the Democratic Party. And so Democrats have a lot to work, a lot of work to do to get ready for the 2022 the election. The president did get a good economic 
news this week, though. 850,000 jobs created. I think it shows we're moving the economy in the right direction. Asher, underreported, my friend. A lot of heavy news this week, so I'm going with something a little lighter. The nation of Slovakia on Monday witnessed the world's first successful flight of a flying car between two international airports. The not particularly creatively named Air Car runs on a BMW engine and can reach uh, cruising altitudes of 8,200 feet, about 120 miles an hour. Its developers are working on a new version that will also be amphibious. Uh, now, as someone who grew up in the era of Back to the Future and Blade Runner, my reaction to this news was, it's about time. I was convinced <laughs> that by 2020, we would have a flying car. But it's also a little bittersweet because I was also convinced that by 2020, we would have solved climate change, global hunger, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But I guess at least we have a flying car. Nelson, another report. But by the way, are you can invest in that company? I'll buy one if they bring the price down. Okay. <laughs> Nelson. The strength of the United States. Uh, we have the strongest economy in the world. We're the least dependent on exports. The dollar is the world's reserve currency. We are energy independent. We are secure in terms of our food supply as the largest, most productive agricultural land in the world. Our borders are militarily safe. Two um, aircraft strike groups have more fire firepower than all of the world's navies combined, and we have 10 of those groups. Uh, we're the most powerful and prosperous uh, country in history. We certainly have challenges, mostly internal, but no external threats as a, as a nation. So, and almost unlike any other country, uh, anyone in the world can come to the United States and become an American. So happy 4th of July. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? First, they should call that air car the Jetson, because yeah. that's when we first heard about flying cars. <laughs> that's my, where I was. My, my who's up this week uh, is a 91-year-old, as of this week, Gastonia native, Thomas Sowell, well-known economist, commentator, author, celebrated uh, his birthday, and he was recognized on the floors of both the House and the Senate uh, from Gastonia representing uh, <clears throat> representative and senator. So Thomas Sowell up this week. Who's down? The NCAA. Not only is the NCAA dealing with this whole name, image, and likeness thing, which is going to blow up much of its model, but it also is facing the prospect of complaints from North Carolina lawmakers about NC State and what happened at the College World series. They want an apology from the NCAA. Talk to us about NC State just a little bit. Yeah, this was a situation where NC State was sort of a surprise to get into the, the college baseball World Series because they had had such a tough start to the season. They got all the way through the winner's bracket, were one win away from playing in the finals. Then they had to go home because of COVID. Jay, who's up and who's down this week? Well, North Raleigh's up uh, thanks to the national attention garnered from the escape and then capture of the venomous zebra cobra. Uh, the highly dangerous snake with a nine feet venom spit belonged to a young man who had a large TikTok following. Uh, Raleigh police have yet to release details on the snake's new whereabouts, only saying it's been He's safely contained. Protection. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly witness protection. So who's down? Uh, the Trump Organization, the real estate business that made Donald Trump famous, was charged yesterday with running a 15-year scheme uh, to help its executives evade taxes by compensating them with fringe benefits uh, that were hidden from the authorities. Specifically, the charges perks, accused right? perks. Per perks. That's right. Specifically, the charges accused the chief financial officer, um, who could become a key witness, uh, given the charges could lay the groundwork for a, a wider organization investigation that could focus on the president. We'll himself. continue to watch that. Who's up and who's down this week? Up. 
temperatures still in the Western United States and now in Canada uh, in a heat wave that scientists are calling historic, dangerous, prolonged, and unprecedented. In British Columbia, the village that set Canada's all-time heat record on Tuesday was engulfed in flames by Wednesday. Uh, so as we all uh, enjoy our Independence Day cookouts okay. and fireworks this weekend, let's keep our friends in the West in our thoughts okay. down. Uh, transparency in elections because of the other Supreme Court ruling yesterday, uh, which basically held that uh, public charities, including dark money political groups, do not have to disclose their donors. Nelson, who's up and who's down this week? In a new Harvard-Harris uh, uh, poll, 80% of voters now say illegal immigration is a serious issue, with 74% saying there is a crisis at the border that must be addressed. That's done by Mark Penn, who is Clinton's former pollster, I believe. That is, and he said in that regard that immigration is boiling up as an issue. Uh, and who's down is Hong Kong, while Western Power signed communiques a couple of weeks ago calling on China to end repression. The government continues to arrest editors and reporters, closing the last pro-democracy newspaper this week. Um, a great light uh, is going out in Asia. Headline next week, Mitch. As the nation celebrates July 4th, there's still debate over whether 1776 is really the country's birthday. Do you think there's really debate and American people are following that? I don't think there's a whole lot of debate, but the people who are very vocal about 1619 are very vocal about it. Okay, headline next week. Okay. Uh, Biden administration narrowly meet, misses a goal of getting one dose of COVID-19 vaccine to 70% of Americans by July 4th should meet goal in August. Will that give us herd immunity, you think? Uh, you know, it's, uh, that, that's the national average, but uh, we clearly have a lot of work to do in a lot of states, including those in the South. Headline next week. Striking a similar note, Americans celebrate July 4th without realizing the irony, uh, given the Supreme Court just uh, struck another major blow to American democracy. Headline <laughs> next week. You're getting your message in today. <laughs> Plenty of people disagree with that. That's a headline next week. Um, the new space race is not between China and the United States. It's Branson versus Bezos. Uh, Branson goes up in outer space uh, July the 11th, and uh, Bezos to soon follow. Okay, great job, gents. That's it for us. Have a great fourth. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by... NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina. Mary Louise and John Burris. Reifenberg Construction. Stefan Gleason. And Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.